We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And there is nothing like a win in Boston. For my heart, it's quite like it's it's like a an instant seven game winning streak in terms of my mood. And especially when it's unexpected like that. What a tantalizing victory that was last night. Lakers played their asses off, uh, really hoping Vando's okay. He was dominant in that first half. Jackson Hayes was great. Austin Reeves sets a season high for points with 32. He was phenomenal on the ball uh, and off of it. Hits a career-high seven threes. D'Lo has a season-high 14 assists despite struggling from the field. And Lakers get pretty much a wire-to-wire victory uh, in Boston. Mike, I was looking at the bottle of wine that you gave me before the game. Uh, Mike, Mike, for one, Mike Trudeau is one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. Does all sorts of things for people that... You know, never ask for any credit or anything like that, but very generous guy. And he had gotten me this wine that's from Sasha's Vineyard. And I was looking at it last night, you know, and it's a stormy day with Lakers. We look like crap. I'm very ornery about them, Mike. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, I might just drink this bottle of wine while I watch this game because it's not going to go well for us. And it's just very, you know, very surly and ornery. And out of nowhere, Mike... We get this amazing victory. So talk to us. You're only here with us for a couple segments. Uh, you gotta got to run to the next town. But uh, what a fun win in Boston. Well, shout out to Sasha. A couple of big free throws uh, against the Celtics. That's right. Did you drink the bottle? Uh, no, I'm still saving the bottle. It, uh, oh, okay. I, I decided against it. Yeah, I didn't even deliver the punchline, did I? No, I said, no, damn it. I'm going to watch this got game it. and not not pout. And we got the win. Okay, yeah. Because you seemed very together in the text thread, so I figured, all right. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I don't know. This is probably the least expected result in a long time in the NBA, uh, just all things considered, and we all know why. It, it also just shows the, the power of sometimes if you play a lot harder um, than your opponent in any kind of circumstance, that you will be rewarded. And I think the Lakers were, in this case, by the basketball gods uh, there. The question, Darius, that I'm asking myself throughout, and I think we were asking ourselves afterwards, is what 
what about this is sustainable? What about this is just they played harder on this given night? And maybe that's for we can do that in a little bit because uh, for like for this game, the mix of the skill guards like with Austin and D'Lo doing their thing despite having Drew Holiday and Derek White and at times Tatum or Brown rotating over on the perimeter, um, I thought was was very interesting. And then the start from Vanderbilt plus Jackson Hayes like that that energy together that that kind of um, the kinetic energy flowing through those two. Um, I thought was so huge. And then you had a little bit of it coming off the bench at different times uh, from Christie and from Hachimura. So it was a truly completely uh, went up and down the roster for contribution. And, you know, having LeBron and AD watching it on the bench and hopefully kind of thinking, okay, you know, we can, we can work with this relative to what we saw in Atlanta and what we saw in Houston, where the collective energy was more closely mirroring some of the energy from last season, you know, before the trade deadline, when, you know, when there was just this, there were different parts of the season where, um, where you could see that happening in some for understandable reasons. So I, I'm curious, Darius, what stands out the most um, to you uh, as you were having this experience and, and likely not having a bottle of wine as well? Just a great, great win. There's a part of me that just wants to like, remove all context and and future implications from this one game and Amen. just sort of enjoy the Lakers coming out and deciding that for whatever reason, whether it's the Celtics rivalry, whether it's LeBron and AD being out and these guys just sort of like circling the wagons or them just basically being tired of getting their asses kicked right in a couple of back-to-back games that – the group that was available just came out and decided we're going to get after it this game. And you were there in the media room, Mike, to a man, every single one of the players that spoke after, not the coach, right? And Darwin had a bunch of good things to say, but the players, they all basically said, we were just going to come out and play as hard as we could and that we were going to try to do everything we could to impact winning, right? Delo said it. Austin said it. Jackson Hay said it. Um, and I don't know what it was like in in the locker room, but the general vibe to me was like, we're not having it tonight. Like whatever there was before or whatever comes after in this moment, we're going to be in this moment and we're going to take it to the other team. And Pete, you've talked a lot, especially last season, but also in the seasons prior about being in that moment and the players not sort of letting their minds drift towards all of these other factors that obviously we're all human. We all get impacted by like the context of whatever we're going through. I was super appreciative of the players who were there, like rallying around the idea of not tonight. And I thought Austin said the best, like, we will live with the results if we give everything that we have and win or lose. The thing that stood out to me just from this singular game, and we will get into more like lasting stuff in a minute, was that how many games, guys, have we seen this season where it was the Lakers who got behind early and it was the Lakers who tried to battle back and it was the other team who said, 
not today with like a big three or a couple of transition baskets or a big loose ball that they got to or an offensive rebound kick out and then a reset. And that momentum just sort of like kills whatever vibe the Lakers were going to have as the rallying team. And this past game, it was the Lakers that did that to Boston. How many times did it look like here comes the Boston train? They're the better team. They've got more talent. Here comes their run. Nope. D'Lo snuffs it out with a hit-ahead pass, and Prince gets a layup. Nope. D'Lo drives, hook pass over his head to trailing Austin Reeves, who shoots a 30-footer like those old Mike D'Antoni Houston spacing teams where it's just like, yeah, we're actually going to play behind the four-point line, which was an idea that Darvin had in like four-out spacing, right? Like there's a four-point line out here. And that's where Austin was chucking from last night. Just a wonderful effort. And I was just so giddy at the idea that, oh man, like, are they going to do it? And it didn't even, even with 30 seconds left, I was just like, no, don't give it away. Why are you shooting? Two tiny things before you get into this. Seven turnovers committed. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, for the whole game. Austin had zero. D'Lo had one uh, for the guys that had the ball the most. And then, uh, let's see, eight personal fouls committed. Eight. Yeah. The whole game. So Boston got seven free throws, including zero by Jackson Hayes. But th- those those stats were kind of underrated ones and tells you a lot. That was where I was going to start out was with the turnover difference, right? The How few we had and how many we forced. They had a ton of turnovers in that first quarter. And that is one of Boston's weaknesses, uh, really their main one that is one of the reasons why they can kind of cruise through a regular season. And then in the playoffs, they can run into some problems. And that is one of the things that is a lasting thing from this game and why it's such a, it was such a tantalizing win is that this is naturally an attacking team on the defensive end. Not every team that how you measure whether or not they're good on defense is going to be really reflective in the turnovers they force or steals and blocks, right? The box score stats, as we all know, that's not everything about defense. But I think for this team, it's actually very indicative of how well they're, they're playing because I think that they can force a lot of these types of turnovers. Jackson Hayes in both of these last two games, I think he had four steals in an otherwise pretty uh, pretty lame Atlanta game. He is showing higher on pick and rolls. And as Jalen Brown's coming off of that, he's attacking, right? It's not like a drop coverage where it's like, oh, I got to kind of hedge at you, but worry about the roll guy. It's like, no, I'm going to attack your dribble with my hands and get a strip. I'm going to attack that pass that you're trying to throw over the top. And are you going to give up some shots behind them as they get by you with a ball fake or find a passing window around you? Yes, but you're also going to get a lot of deflections. You're going to get out into transition. And I thought he was really phenomenal in that respect. And then the minutes that Vando played, Mike, and I really, really hope he's okay. He dominated the game when he was in the game. And just from a math standpoint, we had so many more possessions than they did by virtue of the turnovers that we were forcing and the offensive rebounds that we were getting. That's part of Vando that we haven't even really talked a ton about, but we'd been to start the season, the worst offensive rebounding team in the NBA and being able to add that to our bucket of ways that we score, I think is, was super helpful. And so him, Jackson, and then Rui, I thought had a phenomenal fourth quarter uh, to, to kind of close that out in the spirit of those, those bigger athletes and their importance to this team. The Vanderbilt thing is so tough because the, this was to me, the Jared Vanderbilt that fits 
perfectly right in that starting lineup. You know, energy all over the place, lifting up the players around him, loose balls, offensive rebounds, steals. He hit two threes. Uh, he, he got to the free throw line, just doing so much stuff. And I, I suppose we should we should just not get too deep into it because we really don't know. Um, but typically when a guy leaves a game like that and, you know, was not walking very well, that's a concern for me. You know, that's not that's not something that I just immediately expect that he'll be able to play the next day in. But we'll see. OK, well, hopefully we'll get an update in New York. We're about to head to New York. There's no practice today. It's a travel day. So hopefully we'll get something on Saturday and, and just hoping for the best, because, again, he that level of Vanderbilt in, in his full athletic glory, um, plus doing some more skill stuff would be exactly what this team needs. What I want to do after the break, Austin Reeves, uh, I mentioned the zero turnovers, uh, 10 for 18 from the field. He had seven threes and he had a lot of solo time on the ball. And I asked Pete this question uh, and Darius in the text are like, what what was different about these solo Austin minutes? In, in times when there have been times this season where the, those haven't gone as well and he's wanted to play more of a style with other players next to him, whether it be LeBron or, um, or D'Lo. So I, I'd, I'd love for you to dig into that when we get back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this isn't even the primary thing, D, but I think that, and maybe this is me seeing what I want to see, but the gravity that Jackson Hayes has on the rim, I thought really helped both Austin and D'Lo. They're both, as this has been a theme that we've talked about a lot throughout this year, is they're not really downhill guys. They're more skill guys that can shoot past dribble. And having an athlete on the other end of a pick and roll combination kind of can help bridge some of that gap and and be able to add an element that's super helpful. And so on a night where D'Lo, I think was like one for 12 on his two pointers, Hayes's ability to get to the rim, although, and, and D'Lo's ability to find him with a little look away, or I'm going to ball fake this way and throw that little lob up to him. It, that was, I think, essential in us still being able to score. Um, and, and so I, I, I do want you want you to get to Austin, but I thought that having that legit rim threat, and this is something that it's easy to be like, oh, well, isn't Anthony Davis that normally? 
I would argue no. Like Hayes rolls to the rim with bad intentions pretty much every time he sets a screen. That's not the case with AD. AD's a, a high volume star that's that operates on ball way more, but he's not a guy that's going to roll every single time to the rim. And he can't jump the way that Hayes can uh, at, at this point. And, and so I thought that in the spirit of spacing, right, being so important, Jackson Hayes is a very important vertical spacer that I think helps other guys work, as well as him understanding how to play within the five out, which I'll talk more about later. But I just wanted to throw him on on the uh, uh, him out there as a topic within the Austin conversation. But Austin was unbelievable on the ball in terms of the his ability to operate units by himself, probably his best game of the season. One of the things that I appreciated about Austin is that earlier during the season, he was driving all the way in and then getting enveloped by players. And yesterday he had several drives where he stopped short at the foul line and was just like, it's not there for me. I'm going to reverse pivot and I'm going to throw it back out. One of the things I appreciate about Hayes in the context of the five out system is an important part of what you see a lot of teams who run five out do with their big men is screen and rescreen and there's a certain amount of verve and activity you need to have as a big man if you're going to screen and rescreen and be called up to screen and rescreen as often as you're going to and Hayes I think does that better than any of the Lakers bigs and there was a possession where Austin hit like a ridiculous shot and he had like a screen, rescreen, like dribble handoff sort of situation with Hayes. And he was being defended by Peyton Pritchard. And it was like late clock and Austin got the ball back and then just shot like a crazy shot and it went in. But it was a, a, a part of why Austin was successful on the ball too was like his shooting was at such a high level. A thing I wanted to say about Austin in general is he's had a bit of a frustrating season on on a variety of levels. He's been very good, but he's also been frustrating. But one of the things I super appreciate about Austin, and Darwin sort of spoke to this, but not, didn't say this exactly, is that this dude's a competitor and he is a gamer. And so Austin, I felt like he walked into Boston mm-hmm. and was just like, fuck these dudes. I'm a Laker. Mm-hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. This is a game that means something to As me. As he should, yeah. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to play well. There's a certain type of player that in the bigger moments, they can sort of elevate their games. And for whatever reason, Austin feels more like one of those guys to me. And so maybe it's just coincidence that he had one of his best games of the season against Boston, but like... On a night without LeBron, and you knew that he was going to have to handle the ball more, Mike, and in a game without AD, where his usage was going to be elevated some, and he was going to have to score more, he came out and was just like, nope, I may be a 34% three-point shooter this season, but these are going in tonight. Like, he was 
focused and sharp. And I just so appreciate that about Austin. If I can just add one thing from just a practical sense, those navigation of ball screens and what Darius pointed out about him reverse pivoting when he didn't like what he had. This was something I was ranting about. Remember at the beginning of the season, stop over penetrating, stop dribbling right into the teeth of everybody. That's the move is the reverse pivot and swing back out. And so it's that manipulation of the spacing within five out, Mike, was the best I've ever seen from from Austin. That's a great point. The thing I would add on Austin, I just was so impressed with his his ball security under heavy duress. And you could tell White and Holiday, mm-hmm. they at a certain point, like these guys are competitors too. And even though Boston as a team didn't come out great, they were battling. Like they were really trying to get back into this game. The crowd was desperately trying to find a moment. And when it was when they got within six in the third quarter, it was louder than any building I've heard this year. It really was. It was almost deafening uh, in there. And Austin just crossover behind the back, dribble, like drew a foul, just very composed, um, kept things under control. And so did D'Lo. Uh, and and that was uh, that was key for two guys that are that don't have the athletic advantages, you know, of some of the best perimeter that some of the best perimeter defenders have. Um, I was impressed by that. I. I want to leave you guys with one thought and you're going to keep it going uh, in, the, in the next segment because I got to go hop on the bus uh, to get to the plane to go to New York. But energy and effort like this, while great and galvanizing, are not sustainable um, relative to the rest of the NBA. And this is not meant to be a downer, uh, but you're you're not going to be able to go out and throw the first punch and continue to throw the punches and the other team is going to have to react. And so... I that what about this is sustainable um to me some of it hinges upon Jared Vanderbilt um and if not it hinges upon still finding that that piece of the starting lineup whether it's Hachimura whether it's Jackson Hayes um starting next to Anthony Davis that is going to that is going to deliver um a certain level of energy and or physicality that isn't always going to be there with Russell Reeves Prince um certainly around LeBron and, and not not to force you guys down this road no. again I just don't want to get tricked into thinking, oh, there it is. There's the effort. There's the energy. That's the thing that Lakers can do every night. Uh, that's not how it goes, especially when other teams see that purple and gold. Um, even if Boston wasn't able to and the Lakers didn't let them, uh, which was great. Uh, that, that To me, that's the, the key as they move forward into these next few games. But that's in the guys that you play, right? Like Jackson Hayes, you, I, you'll see him set illegal screens. You'll see him arrive a, a moment too late. I have never seen Jackson Hayes not play hard. I've never seen him not like sprint his ass off running up and down the floor. I've never seen him not like... I'm now he may make dumb decisions he right but in terms of like are you going to see this guy play this is how Jared Vanderbilt plays this is what he does and when it's a bunch of big dudes like Max Christie will go out there he may make a mistake he may get bodied he may make a he may do something that's a function of his inexperience but he is going to give you a reliable I will run the floor before we when we previewed this game you guys asked, like, what do you want to see in this game? I said, I want to see them run. I know you guys tune in for such hard-hitting analysis on the Laker Film Room <laughs> podcast, but that's where we were at. Freaking run. And they did. And so it's in the guys that you play, Mike. It's like, is that what you do? That's to yeah. LeBron's point of do your job. Well, we're, we're saying the same thing. We right? are, uh, as always, yeah. right? We're yelling yeah. at each other as we say the same thing. Darius, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, play, play a guy or two. 
next to LeBron and AD in in uh, in in this context, or you know Austin and D'Lo, or some combo with even if Prince is in there, like so, somebody's got to get in there and be that energizer bunny to start to start things off. Like they, the team needs that uh, level. I think LeBron and AD are going to lead in the way that they lead through their own physicality and and the force that they can play with their skill and their and their overall talent. The role players are going to rely on that from them every single night. LeBron and AD need to be able to rely on their role players to provide the things that they don't do as naturally at this stage of their career. And if you're going to ask LeBron and AD to be the guys who carry you from an energy standpoint, that's where you're going to fall short. That's right. And, And so it's like, to me, it's more, this is what LeBron and AD need, and they will then ride that wave. Do I think, I don't expect Austin and D'Lo to come out and like sprint their asses off every single night. But if they see other dudes that are doing that first, the way that Vando and Hayes Hayes were, that's going to uplift the rest of the guys too, Mike. And before I uh, hang up and listen, the the last point, I want to clarify this about Anthony Davis, because it, it sounds like, and, and Pete, I know you don't mean it this way. It almost sounds like a pejorative to say, well, AD isn't going to roll the same as Jackson Hayes, or he might not run the floor as much. And I just want to throw in, AD has to do so much stuff over I, the course I, of his career. You're preaching to the choir. I think they should play together. Is Let Jackson Hayes do that stuff so AD can be more the guy that – let him carry the couch sometimes. Sorry. But it's an important point, though, just to say that AD has to do more than almost any NBA player um, mm-hmm. on the court. And so one thing that is hard on top of all that mentally and physically – is to sprint yes. every time up and down the floor and to roll and set a screen every time and then go back and switch out to the perimeter on a guy and then go protect the rim and then go take someone off the dribble. That's And, and it's the same thing, all the stuff that LeBron has to do. So it's not saying like, oh, this is the difference between when a star, what a star's load is yes. and what a role player's load yes. is. And when your role players don't do that stuff, yes. then you're dead Okay, <laughs> because then nobody's doing it. That's right. Let's go to break here, and when we come back, it'll be me and Pete, and Mike will be on the bus. So, Pete, I want to stay away from the dead horses the rest of the pod, like, if we can. I'd rather focus on what the guys who played last night, what they actually do, and I do want to circle back to Hayes a little bit as sort of a player who is familiar with five-out play as a center and Mm -hmm. beyond the running and the sprinting middle lane filling and even what we saw some of what he did defensively which i thought was super important did you see that meme that was going around last night with hayes it was hayes you know everyone does the wilt picture but they'll put someone else's face on there and then they'll have their own sign oh, right uh-huh. oh with yes, the zero with the zero fouls in uh, yes. in 34 minutes <laughs> so it was <laughs> one of the most astounding stats of the season how did that dude play 34 minutes and well and he yes. played hard didn't no pick fouls. up a foul awesome right and, and, and so one of the things i liked about hayes in the preseason was that he seemed to understand best what the lakers were doing like as as the big man, as a center, mm-hmm. he seemed to understand best what the Lakers were doing from a five-out perspective with all the dribble pitch stuff, with all of the, like, screen, rescreen, like, oh, my read's not there, reverse pivot, mm-hmm. dribble in the other direction for, for a DHO. That's all sort of 
textbook five out stuff. I also thought he was doing well of like catching the ball on the move and then looking to spray out, which is also what you do as as a five out big. And, and so uh-huh. talk to me a little bit about Hayes, who has had his ups and downs this season, has been in and out of the rotation and had been firmly out of the rotation for a while now, only to get back in and show this is what I can do. Now, what he can do isn't Mm. what he always does, and that's why he's a vet men player. But Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about Hayes. So I want to zoom back just for a moment and and talk about like my – this is my theory of victory for this team in terms of what I think this team could be great at. And Jackson Hayes very much plays into this, is that I think that to find the best version of a team, you got to find like what is their – shared attribute or attributes that they have that they are better at that than the rest of the league. And so if you look at this Lakers roster, shooting is not that thing. But I do think that the Lakers have a remarkably athletic roster when you look at them. If you look at the fifth most athletic or physically imposing guy on the Lakers, it's a much better athlete than it is on the vast majority of other teams. And so the, we've talked a lot about the idea of combined force, right? That idea of Rui is really good when he's on the court with LeBron and AD, just as a function of the other team runs out of guys. The, they're really good defenders at those types of sizes are guarding LeBron and AD. And so Rui's left on the guy that's left over and he's going to kick his butt. Same type of idea that happens with athleticism. When I talk about our ability to force turnovers and how on this particular team, blocks and steals and uh, turnovers forced is a really important stat. Whereas on other teams, you could be a very good team, but that not be as big of a part of what you do. We are a pick six team. And that is because we've got Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes and Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura as these athletes with size. And then LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Right. And so those are that guys after, exactly. after the top two. Yes. And so that they're what's interesting within this, because when you talk about the great athletes of the game, when they're on, they're still right up there in terms of the most physically imposing. It is also they have this star's load on their shoulder or they have this uh, star's workload on their shoulders in a way that they are going to have to be selective about when they run. So to your point, you get in trouble when you're asking them to be your energy guys that provide the physicality, that provide that. They can do that, and they're freaking great at it when they do, but it has to be in order to win a possession, not a game, not a a regular season, not a playoff series, but to win just that play on that night against that team. you got to have guys doing that on individual plays. And so that's precisely why... It's that stacking type of idea where it's you're dealing with athletes of LeBron and AD when they really want to turn it on, but also Vando and Rui and a guy like Jackson Hayes, a guy like Cam Reddish. I do think that this is the attribute that from a shared perspective is where this team is the most remarkable relative to the rest of the league. And so my argument is leverage that. And so in a bubble, is Jackson Hayes a very good player? I don't think so. I know there. I have several people who who are like, he's got. Uh, I have several people who just cannot stand watching him play, and I. So and I understand that. That said, the 
motor and athleticism that he has and the five out stuff this is the the paradox of him is he makes a lot of really clever passes like you were alluding to where he catches the ball on the move and he skips it to not just one pass away but he's like avoiding a charge and bending and skipping it to the corner where it's like damn that was a nice pass and he does that all the time he does this one thing where we play five out right and if jackson hayes is spaced to the corner a lot of teams aren't going to guard him that makes sense but as soon as he's catching it, he's looking to move it in a handoff to the guy next to him. And the guy next to him is never ready to make that cut. It kills me every time. This is something that if Gabe Vincent were healthy, this is something Miami does all the time within their five out is they play five out. Sometimes Bam is spaced to the corner. Teams don't really care if Bam is spaced to the corner. They'll let him shoot that. But he's going to catch that. And then it's going to flow into a handoff with Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero. All their perimeter shooters are guys that work on that shot and know that when that ball's being skipped in the air, they're already going into that flow into that handoff. Hayes does this, but he never has a has a dance partner. And so for all of his faults, for all of the fouls that he's going to pick up for all of the really loud, bad plays that Hayes can make in the spirit of its, of what he does stacking on top of what I think this team can naturally be great at. I actually think he's a pretty important player on this team. Yeah. I'll be interested to see where things shake out for him versus wood. Wood did not have a good offensive game. I thought he battled on the glass some in ways that did not show up in his rebound total. Right. And so Wood was like one for eight, I think, from the field against Boston. I think he had four rebounds, maybe two offensive and two defensive rebounds. And that stands in stark contrast to the production that Hayes provided. I don't know if Hayes's ability to play defense without fouling or not commit mm-hmm. offensive fouls, which are turnovers when you committed offensive foul, that mm-hmm. those things won't end up being too much of a negative and sort of overwhelm his positives. Totally get it. I'm not arguing that Jackson Hayes is going to be a 20-minute-per-game playoff oh, no, rotation sure. type of guy. But but in terms of what he does adding to what the skill guards kind of need and then sort of this, this great shared attribute that I think the team has, I think that his ability to put athletic pressure on the team is different than Christian oh, totally, Wood. Because Wood, Wood falls in the same realm to me as like D'Lo, right? Where it's just like Wood plays at his own pace mm-hmm. and you're not really going to speed Wood up. It, it's, it's one of the reasons why the shots that Wood takes on the dribble are big man versions of the drives that D'Lo makes at times, right? And, and so D'Lo had some hard luck misses. <laughs> yeah. Against Boston, like he had several shots like right at the rim where it's just like they just rolled like rolled off. He he also forced a he couple. Rushed him, yeah, it's just like going mm-hmm. in there against Porzingis and Porzingis was or for a formidable challenge. Sure. As a shot blocker around the basket. And I thought the Lakers felt his presence down there. He had like a few blocks against Vando and other guys. Rui. He Packed Rui, man, and had him like on the ground when Rui tried to go mm-hmm. up there and throw up that that left hand handed shot. And Porzingis was just like, oh, mm-hmm. no way, buddy. You're not getting this. I think when we zoom back out, the idea of Hayes running the floor, the idea of Vando running the floor, 
the ability of those guys to get out and run while D'Lo is looking for hit ahead passes and while Austin is running the floor. Mm -hmm. These are, that's right. These are the attributes that do stack on top of each other and they do allow the puzzle pieces to interlock in a way that Mm -hmm. build out the bridge to get this team to become the version of itself that is best. And is that going to be a team that can win the championship? Is that going to be a team that's going to beat the Denver Nuggets? Is that going to like, we got to get on track, man. It's it. That's too far away. That's exactly the point that I was going to make is those things are all big picture ideas that will matter for all the talk that we all make and that we all have. And that LeBron says this a ton. Darwin says this a ton about not skipping steps. Well, Skipping steps is deciding what team you want to be first and then playing those players who allow you to be that team rather than zooming back out and saying, well, what team are we actually? Mm-hmm. Got to coach the team we have. And then than bringing the, those the players together and then mm-hmm. trying to work out the kinks with those players in order to become that team. And that's sort of what we've been arguing for in all of the dead horse stuff that we're not going to get back to too much right but it's just like this is the this is the group that that they have i think it is and one guy that in terms of like working out the kinks and figuring out the workarounds of kind of the imperfect fit rui i thought he was huge in closing out that game had a 10-point fourth quarter. Uh, we were talking about how there were a couple of places in that game where Boston was like, okay, we're going to try to press on them and make a run. And they did. And Rui was huge in uh, the fourth quarter part of that. And so I have a point to make about spacing with Rui uh, v- versus Prince, but I'll I'll end on that. But talk to me about Rui because you texted us like, hey, we're going to need Rui in this that fourth quarter. Right before that, he had – Yeah, that was, oh, was Mike. That Mike? That, Mike's, okay. Mike's just like, man – It'd be great if Rui found something in the fourth. And I was just like, man, mm-hmm. Rui's got tough matchups tonight just because without LeBron and AD, it was Porzingis and Horford he who ended up on Rui. Yep. And you got all of that and, attention. And, and so mm-hmm. for all the stuff that we were talking. So how did he how did he get the points off of that? How did he how did he work around that and, well, and be productive? He hit a couple of threes in that fourth quarter. In that fourth quarter that were huge, like sort of pick and pop, swing, swing. Like I'm out here and You've talked to us about what Boston doesn't have in terms of their defense in relation to their big players. And Austin took advantage of this on that long three he hit when Porzingis was Mm -hmm. switched out on him. Mm -hmm. Porzingis sort of relaxed and he was just like, you're 35 feet from from the basket. I'm going to back off. And Austin's just like, okay, well, I'm just going to shoot this. I don't care about that. And in the same way, Boston's bigs don't always want to be out on the perimeter in, in order to, mm-hmm. to defend. And Rui's got just good enough of a first step, right? To be like, I can beat you if, if you crowd me out here. And he's got those long arms and those big hands so he can dunk from awkward positions. He had that one right-handed dunk sort of drifting to the left baseline where he tapped mm-hmm. the backboard with his left mm-hmm. hand and then dunked it with his right. He's very right-handed too. So like certain shots that other players would take with his left hand, he's like, no, I'm still, I'm going to dunk this across my body totally. with my right hand. The thing that as a left-handed player, that's the thing that always bothers me. It's just like no one's ever too right-handed. Everyone's too left. Yeah, yeah. No one's ever <laughs> calls it right, right. That's Julius Randle. It's like, ah. Gotta go anyway, right. 
We're persecuted, <laughs> oh, I tell you. Anyway. <laughs> but Rui's ability to A, run the floor, B, work as a cutter, and C, sort of like shoot the open three, but then rip and attack a closeout and either shoot the mid-range very comfortably or get all the way to the basket. These are important skill sets for a player who is as big as he is. Mm -hmm. He hit a gorgeous pull-up jumper against Horford on like an isolation late Mm -hmm. clock play. That's a thing that Rui can do too. These are quote-unquote playoff shots. And no one's going to hit these at a super high level unless you're like Kevin Durant or someone like that, right? But the ability to sort of like, I'm 22 feet away from the basket, but I need to get to 16 feet in order to hit a pull-up jumper. Mm -hmm. Rui can do that against a lot of players. And I think his skill set in the in-between is just such a useful tool to have in your bag. This is something when we played Atlanta the other night, DeJounte Murray closed us out with about four eight to 12 footers that were those over the top type of shots, even right up against Vando, right? And so those are why those are playoff shots. It's because the play that you tried to run to start the clock didn't really work. You don't really have much of an advantage. And now you're isolated against a good defender in Al Horford with eight seconds left on the shot clock. You got to go to work. You got to find a shot. And so that hard dribble pull up going right is a shot that Jerry Jerry West was really the guy who uh, I don't want to say pioneered that it existed before him, but he's the guy that really pushed that forward. And so it's cool to watch Ruby take that shot because it's very reminiscent of a all time great, right? The logo and, and something that he was great at. And so that's basically my point regarding Rui and spacing is that his his value as a spacer is that he can score from pretty much anywhere on the court competently to well. It's not something that is he as good of a catch and shoot guy as Torian Prince? Probably not. But in terms of the variety at which you can that he can score and even create advantage where if it's somebody that if that whole idea of the third guy on the court can't guard him in the front court that Rui has a versatility to him that I think so often you had that great rant yesterday about spacing being something that we overvalue in terms of there just there are other ways to win it matters for sure but it's not the only thing that that does matter and I think part of that too is that there are different ways to look at spacing there's vertical spacing there's versatility can you score from 18 feet can you hit a three can you score off of a cut and dunk across your body when two interior defenders are coming to block your shot like there's a there's a spacing within that that matters too and so uh we got to wrap up here um but great win great way to go into the weekend uh go lakers thank you for that shot of adrenaline um we will be back on monday but until then you've been been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. 
hard to believe. Are you Look kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.